0: I have a quick testimony. Six young people gave their lives to Jesus on Friday night. How awesome is that? Oh! <laughs> Hallelujah. God is amazing. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the wonderful things that you are doing all the time. You never stop working, Lord. We love you so much, and I pray, Lord, today that you give us a fresh word. You give us a fresh fire, Lord God, a fresh touch of heaven. Lord, not a word for yesterday, not a word for last week, not even a word for an hour ago. May this be a fresh word. May we receive it, Lord God. We commit our hearts to you right now. We open ourselves up to you so that we can receive, so that we can mull over your truths, Lord God, so that we can chew on them and meditate on them, and that we can be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been on a pretty interesting journey lately uh, with God because I've been asking Him to show me where I am religious. And I think by now I've stopped being surprised at the things that pop up uh, because it's, it's pretty constant, the amount of things that God brings up to me, hey, what would you do there? Oh, okay, yeah, no worries. Um, what do I mean when I say religious? Uh, the Bible, sort of, the Bible uses different uh, terminology, but it means the same thing. Often when Paul is uh, talking, he's talking about the difference between following the law, which is what the Israelites lived by, and faith. There was, there was two different ways to live, and there was, there was one way to receive God, and that was by faith, and it wasn't by works of the law. When he was saying by works of the law, what he was saying was, if we're going to live that way, that means we're trying to be good enough for God. We're trying to earn his love. We're trying to earn his favor. We're trying to attain righteousness by the good things we do, by living a perfect life. But if we receive something by faith, well then it means it's got nothing to do with my efforts. It's just I'm believing that God's already done it and I'm just receiving a gift. And God calls us to live lives of faith, not by works of the law. Uh, But in, in sort of today's modern language, we've we, we, we've tended to switch the terms around and we've, we've started to say that uh, you can either be religious or you can be relational with God. You can, you can try and do all the, the religious stuff the right way and, and try and be good enough for God, or you can entrust yourself to God and, and, and develop this relationship between you and Him. And uh, so I've asked God to show me where I'm being religious and getting in the way of our relationship and and rebelling against God, because that's really what religion is. It's rebelling against God by trying to do things in my own strength. And he's shown me a lot of things, hallelujah. And uh, I've been praying the, the prayer of uh, Ephesians one lately. Uh, I pray it every single day over myself and, and over my family and, and a few other people because I think it's a really powerful prayer. So if you could turn with me to Ephesians chapter one We'll go from verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope, everyone say hope, to which He has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. We'll stop there. I don't really want to talk about uh, the, the riches of his glorious inheritance For us, And I don't really want to talk about the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, even though they're really amazing things. And I think maybe one day we could do a church series on this and that would be really cool. But today I just want to talk about hope, the hope we have in Christ. What's hope? We sort of understand it really well. Uh, But just to be safe, I looked it up on my dictionary.com app which I spent $18 upgrading. So I've got all the phrases, I've got all the terminology, I've got medical terms on here and everything. Hope, the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. That's a pretty good English definition. A person or thing in which expectations are centered. Something that's hoped for. To believe, desire or trust. To look forward to with desire and reasonable confidence. We sort of get the idea. We're looking for something with anticipation and we're happy about it, aren't we? That's the general idea of hope. The word for hope in the Bible, the Greek word, is elpis. And it means a very similar thing. It means to anticipate with pleasure. That's, That's one of its connotations. But it also means to look forward to with desire for the, I can't remember the exact words, for the completion of the salvation in Jesus Christ. It's actually that specific. To look forward to the the, the fullness of salvation. Wow, what a really cool word hope is in the Bible. Okay. And I've kind of found that hope is sometimes maybe a bit of a missing component in my Christian walk. Like, we have this hope that... uh, You know, we've received Christ, we've been born again, we're a new creation, hallelujah, that's awesome. And one day we're going to die and go to heaven. That's hopefully a long way off for all of us. So it doesn't, that's great, and that's the rest of my eternity, which is more important than what's happening in this lifetime, I guess you could say. But it doesn't really help me right now. What happens when I die and go to heaven doesn't help me right now in the situation that I'm in with the ups and downs of life. And if you're anything like me, I sometimes, and when I say sometimes, I mean quite a lot, I get bogged down when things go wrong and I start to go in circles and I start to lose my perspective of things and I start to think stupid thoughts and, and then eventually God sort of knocks on my door and says, hey, what's going on, where you been? I've got to go, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I really went astray, didn't I? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's, it's a pretty relatable thing. We've all done it. I do it quite a lot. The first thing that Paul mentions in here that our, the eyes of our hearts would open up to is hope. So it's really important. How do we uh, maintain hope? Or, or, or what? Let, let's actually backtrack a little bit. What is our hope really? It's let's go to Romans chapter five. Okay, just start at verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know, the real hope of the glory of God is not just being saved into God and going to heaven when I die. But the hope of the glory of God is that I'm becoming like Christ more every single day. And that is such a great truth that I can't comprehend it because Jesus is God and he's perfect. And he has fulfilled his perfection in me and I've been made perfect even though I get things wrong and I sometimes spiral down and go in circles and say stupid things to people and then they, what are you doing, Jamie? But God has made me perfect. He lives inside me and he's making me more like him every single day. That is so, so wonderful. So we rejoice because of the position we now have in the family of God which means we can also be joyful when things go wrong because when things go wrong that shouldn't uh, take that shouldn't take control over our salvation that shouldn't have the final say that shouldn't even compare with my life in Christ so I have a reason to be joyful in my affliction or my sickness or when someone says a bad thing to me or or something like that or the devil attacks me or or something goes wrong in my life it's okay I still consider that stuff and I can still feel it but it doesn't mean it needs to take away my joy you know happiness can go like this and happiness can go up and down several times during a single day but joy doesn't need to go anywhere it can keep rising it doesn't need to go down and up depending on whatever happens to you otherwise you're living by faith in your circumstances you know, who's ever said good morning to me or good day or hi Jamie, how are you? But I give some pretty out there answers. You know, I'll always say fantastic or, or brilliant or I am going so well. Jesus loves me. I don't always feel like the answer I give you. I will be honest. Sometimes I feel a bit rotten when you talk to me and say, Good morning, Jamie. Or or I just, I just don't feel happy. But you know what, my joy hasn't gone anywhere. It doesn't need to go anywhere. I can still feel joy when something's going wrong in my life. It doesn't, joy doesn't mean I need to have a smile on my face. It's a spiritual condition, not an outward appearance. Sometimes it's not appropriate to smile. Is it appropriate to be? No. Actually, John Webb mentioned earlier, uh, he was at a funeral not long ago, someone very dear to him. And there was this battle in him leading up to it. But on the day, even though he was very sad, there was a joy because he knew where his nan was. Amen. You know? That's, that's what joy does. It's an internal condition. And a circumstance in your life or a family member or... or nothing needs to have power over your joy. Your joy can never be robbed from you. You can only give it away. You can hold on to it as long as you want. Amen? Okay, so we can rejoice. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts, through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. Now question, suffering by itself, does it make me a better person? Say it louder. No. Yeah, we kind of all know. How many people have we met that have been through a lot that are jerks? We can understand what they've been through, and we've got to love them, but suffering alone doesn't make you a better person. Submitting to Christ in the process of suffering makes you a better person. See, here's what hope is. It's a spiritual perspective that keeps Jesus in sight all the time. No matter what happens, what storms of life come, you're always looking at Jesus. In fact, we were just talking after the last service about Peter stepping out of the boat. You know, we like to rag on him a little bit. for you know, He stepped out of the boat and he literally walks on water because he sees Jesus and he says, if it's you, tell me to step out of the boat and I will come to you. And Jesus says, come. Thank God that wasn't a trick. And he steps out of the boat and... He walks towards Jesus and then he looks at the storm and then becomes overcome and then starts to sink and he yells, Lord, save me. And Jesus saves him, picks him up, and they're both just standing there on the water together and all the other disciples are in the boat. What did, uh, what did, what's his name? Peter, that's it. What? (laughs) What did Peter do? He took his eyes off Jesus, he looked at the storm. Or figuratively speaking, the storms of life in our context, and he despaired. You know, hope in Jesus will always bring the emotion of joy. That's a good indicator that you've got hope in your life and you've got Jesus in sight. But when you don't have Jesus in sight and you're focusing on your circumstances, you will often experience despair. So if you want to know where you're Where you're at when it comes to, have I got my eyes on Jesus at the moment in my life? What what do you tend to experience more when you're going through stuff in life? Do you tend to feel joy more because, hey, Jesus lives inside me? Or do you feel despair because all of this crazy stuff is happening? And, you know, if you are feeling despair, don't condemn yourself for it. Because Peter never would have been able to have that experience if he didn't step out of the boat in the first place. And, and. He experienced despair, okay, he took his eyes off Jesus, okay, but that was a lesson that he was able to learn that the other disciples were not able to learn because they didn't step out of the boat in the first place. So if you're in a mess and you've put yourself in a mess here, chill out a little bit and don't beat yourself up and just say, okay, Jesus, yep, I, I played myself, I'm, I'm coming back to you right now. Hallelujah. Let's not feel bad about making mistakes. Let's just learn from them, repent, and move on. Hallelujah. Okay, so joy and despair. You know, where, do, where are we sitting at the moment in our lives? So we keep Jesus in sight. Let's keep going. How do we maintain hope when things go wrong? It's easy to maintain hope when nothing's going wrong in your life and everything's going okay. But how do we maintain hope when all the good stuff goes away? Let's go to a classic scripture right now Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance, sorry, endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had to do the same thing we got to do. He didn't lose hope. He didn't look at what was next and what was coming next was a big problem. It was really painful. He looked beyond that and that's what got him through. So we still got to follow Jesus, we still got to follow Jesus's example. We look to him, he looked ahead as well. So we look ahead beyond our circumstances. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he died, I think he really understood what was about to happen. He was very very stressed. He was sweating blood. And when he prayed, we really see the amazing human side of him and his submission to God. Lord, if it is possible, can you take this cup from me? I don't want to do this. Is there any other answer? If there is, can you save me from this situation? Yet, not what I will, but what you will be done. Oh, man. How amazing is that? Imagine if that were our prayer. It's okay to understand the reality of the situation that is before you. And you know what? To be honest, most of the situations in my life, I turn the problem into this big when it's probably only like this big. Uh, So I generally don't have a very good perspective of the things that go wrong in my life. I think it's much more of a weight than it actually is. But I think Jesus had a very healthy appreciation for what the next day was going to bring with the the whippings and the torture and the nails through the hands and the wrist and, and all that kind of stuff. And having sin fill up your body. I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, okay, hope. Hope. <laughs> hope allows us to grow when, when things are going wrong, when we submit to God in that process. So what gets in the way of our spiritual growth or our character transformation? Being able to follow God, whatever you want to call it. Our mind renewal. What's, what gets in the way of our mind renewal when we're talking about hope? Uh, I've been asking God this question lately because lately I've been getting bogged down a little bit in, uh, in my own circles and, and the storms of life and all that kind of stuff. And so I've really been asking God this question. like, I don't want to just deal with this problem and then move on without addressing what's really going on here so that I don't need to fall into that trap in the first place. Now, we went to Romans 5 earlier. Let's just read backwards a little bit. Let's go into Romans 4 and read from verse 18. This is talking about Abraham, the father of faith. Now, Abraham received a promise in his old age and in his wife's old age that they were going to have a son even though they didn't have any children and they were never able to have any children. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham receives this word from God in the middle of the night. Hey, Abraham, step outside. So he steps outside, and God says, look up at the stars. Count them if you can. That's going to be the number of your descendants. Abraham didn't have any kids. He's old. He is past his prime. And so he believed God anyway, against what the current circumstances might dictate. That's what hope against hope means. It's actually in my dictionary It's called an idiom. And it it, it just says, hope against hope. And it means to believe in something despite what the current outlook would tell you. That's what real hope in Christ is. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised So God gave Abraham this word, right? He gave Abraham this promise. And it started like this in Abraham. And you know what? Every time he walked outside and looked at the stars, he would have been reminded of that promise. And so his faith always would have been challenged. I'm sure there were times where he was like, come on, God. Where's my child? It's been a few years since you gave me this promise. Sarah's not getting any younger. (laughs) Stinking thinking. It's a good phrase. And yet he considered the circumstances properly. And his faith didn't weaken. It got stronger. See... Allow me the picture of saying faith had to be impregnated to Abraham, and he had to carry it to full term. That's what promises are like. God has given each person in here a promise, at least one. In fact, that thing's full of them. But even your personal promises that God has given you, related to your family, or or related to healing in your life, or, or... Any sort of breakthrough that he's promised you. You've got to carry that to full term. You've got to to allow your faith to be stirred up and challenged. No, 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 no. This is what my circumstances say, but this is what God says. And this is what I'm going to trust in. I'm going to hope against hope. Because this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Hallelujah. Jesus has overcome the world. And every promise is fulfilled in him. He is the promise that all promises are fulfilled in. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's carry that baby to full term, amen? When we lay hold of God's promises, when we harness God's promises, we really harness the kingdom of heaven. And we can impart it to other people. God's promises aren't just for you. They're for everybody around you. And when you lay hold of something, you can share it. You can't share what you don't have yet. God has given you his promises, but it's got to be fulfilled in you. I remember Pastor Micah said a few weeks ago, when a promise comes... Trouble comes afterwards. Your hope has got to be. You've got to get it. Substance. It's got to come to fruition. It's got to take form in you. You've got to guard it. You've got to protect it. You've got to fight for it. You've got to pray for it. Don't lose it. I really feel like God's reviving some promises in here. When we lose sight of Jesus, we lose sight of all of his promises, and we get bogged down in in things that happen, and we allow the the circumstances of life to tell us, no, God's a liar. That's how we shipwreck our faith. We start to say things like, God, where are you? You promised me. We start praying prayers out of fear and desperation and say, Lord, save me from this situation, instead of, thank you, Jesus, for your victory. Hope is always going to encounter opposition. Your promises will always encounter opposition. I think the biggest reason I've often lost hope or I've often gotten bogged down is because I think that mind renewal is my job. That's what I've thought most of my life without realising it. You know, it can be easy to mistake you know, because we're supposed to partner with God, aren't we? So we are supposed to do something and sometimes we just get the lines blurred, we get a little bit confused about what our responsibility as God's children is. And so I've thought that mind renewal or, or, or transformation of the mind or the way I think, I've, I've always thought it was my job. Because... I have ownership of this mind, don't I? But I can't save myself from my own problems. It literally says it in Ephesians 1, where we were. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So it's not my job to change my mind. It's God's job to change me. He's the one that opens the eyes of my heart. He's the one that turns on the lights. Now, he can't, well, well I'll, he can. He's not going to turn on all the lights in one go. That, what that passage is saying is, the eyes of our hearts see with a particular lens. And there's a lot of darkness in our lens. We can't see very well, uh, talking about the eyes of our understanding. Uh, it, it says, may the eyes of your hearts be enlightened. That means God is slowly turning on the lights. so that you can, He does it slowly so you can handle it. What happens when you turn on the lights all in one go and you're not used to it? It sucks, doesn't it? When, so I, I try and get up at 5 o'clock every morning right? I get up at five o'clock every morning. I don't. I try. It doesn't always work. It sometimes works. Uh, It's still dark at five o'clock in the morning. I get up. I want to go and pray, but I can't pray until I've had a shower because if I don't have a shower and I just get up and pray, I'm going to fall asleep. So I go straight into the bathroom and (laughs) sometimes I'll just shower with the light off because I don't want to deal with the light because I know where everything is. I don't need to see. Who cares? But sometimes I just need that extra punch in the face because I'm super-duper tired. So I'll, tr- I'll turn on the light in the bathroom, but my eyes totally aren't used to it. So what I have to do is I have to shut my eyes and cover it with my hand. Because I find even when I've, I've got my eyes closed like that, it's still too bright when I turn the lights on. So I have to cover my eyes with my hand, and then I turn on the lights... And honestly, even that's still too bright, the little bits that sort of seep in. And then I spend the next minute or two slowly opening my fingers until I can get used to it. I look like a right idiot when I'm doing it. But that's what I've got to do. We, we, we can't... Imagine if God just showed us all our problems in one go. <laughs> Dead. Dead. I probably would die. I'm not kidding. It would be such a shock to the system. I'd probably, oh my goodness, what a panic attack. He's just going to show us one thing at a time so we can deal with that and then the next thing and then we deal with that. We can't lose sight of hope in the midst of it. So it's God's job to change us. Philippians one six says... And now I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, everyone say me, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. That means God began it and God is involved in the process. If we don't believe that, it says it again. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, may the eyes of your heart Be enlightened because God is doing a work in you. Now, I'm going to go to one more famous scripture in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be transformed, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, my whole life I have misinterpreted this verse. I've always seen be transformed. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, see, that's. That's, that's, that's not my job, but then for some reason I see by the renewal of your mind, and all of a sudden I think the renewal of my mind is my responsibility. And I go, well, I've got to change my mind then, and then I'm transformed. Without realizing it, I strip that responsibility from God, and I try and make it my own, and then I get surprised when I find out it doesn't work. Who knew? But if you wanted to summarize verse 1... Right there, into one word, it would just say surrender. Seriously, I could have been Paul's scribe and this whole 16 chapters would have been like three. Surrender. Die to yourself. The first three chapters right there. But then it says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then Graham, of course Graham came up to me afterwards because this is his favourite scripture in the entire Bible. And he said, Jamie, read what it says in the NLT, the New Living Translation, which, by the way, isn't a Bible, it's a paraphrase, but but it gives me a better perspective. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Oh, that sounds so much better. Sometimes I just need a bit of good contemporary English. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Man, it is God's job to change my mind. It's not mine. You know what is my job? My responsibility starts and ends with surrender. Question and it took a while for the first service to answer this question because they thought it was a trick question. It's totally not. It's a simple answer. Whose responsibility was it for Jesus to die on the cross? His own. Thank you, Torrance, you utter legend. It was Jesus' responsibility. Nobody else's. Whose responsibility was it to raise Jesus from the dead? God the Father's not jesus's jesus had the right to be raised from the dead even though he was god he chose to go through the process so you know what he earned the right to be raised from the dead legally he was allowed to rise from the dead conquered death but he submitted to the father and the father rose him it says it in ephesians 1. it says it in a few places actually i've been looking over the last few weeks And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he, talking about the Father, worked in Christ when the Father raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. The Father raised him up. What were Jesus' last words apart from, it is finished, which, by the way, thank you, Bruno, also means it is recompensed, it is paid in full, our debt is paid in full. His other words were... Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up his spirit and he died. His final act was an act of surrender to God. And he entered death for us. And God the Father rose him from the dead. But you know the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is really a picture of your mind renewal. Every day you've got to die to yourself. And God will change that part of yourself. If I'm living selfishly, i got to die to myself. Lord, I'm laying down my life. I surrender to you right now. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be generous in this way. Thank you. And you know what? God will turn you into a generous person. You don't change you. You just surrender. And God will raise you up after you die. You know what? That takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off trying to change, trying to be a better person. It's not my job. Hallelujah. How much lighter does that make things and how much easier does that make our Christian walk? We get bogged down because we've taken the reins off God and we're trying to change ourselves. Man, the Father raises me in Christ. And We are seated at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> okay, so really, the cross is playing out in your life every day, as long as you're surrendering to Jesus. Mm. So again, I say, what promises of God has God given you? What promises have you lost hope in? I, I wrote down a list. Yesterday, of all the promises, not all the promises, but the, a list of the main promises that God has made me personally. What promises have God, has God made you? I speak good English. Stir your faith up. I really feel like God has spoken to us about the salvation of some of our family members. Whew, your brother, your sister. Your kids, your parents, salvation is waiting at their door. Thank God for it and declare it over their lives. Don't lose hope in it. Family reconciliation. Come on. Pat's up. Promise of God. If we can be reconciled to Christ, we sure as hell can be reconciled to each other. Man, what promises is God giving you? Healing? Financial breakthrough. I'll claim that one too. (laughs) Man, what about the promise of salvation itself? What if you don't have that yet? That's a good promise to lay hold of. What's salvation, really? It's you lost. And your Father and Creator comes and finds you and brings you home. Man, God became a human being. How incredible is that? Think about that for a moment. God became a man. And He, in submission to God the Father, went to the cross. (laughs) And He took my sin and your sin and He He took that sin on his own shoulders. God's a righteous judge. He has to judge sin. We didn't just do sinful things. The Bible says you were sin. That means God's got to judge you too, but God doesn't want to judge you. What does the judgment of God look like? The Bible also calls it his wrath. You know what it looks like? looks like rejection. You find that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. The wrath of God is rejection, which is probably why rejection is always one of our biggest fears. We're not made for rejection. God didn't make us for rejection. He made us to be accepted because that's his heart. But in good conscience, he has to judge sin, so he's got to put it on someone. Well, guess what? Jesus is lining up because he doesn't want us to have it. And Jesus goes to the cross, takes our sin, and he experiences the rejection of God on the cross. The wrath, the judgment of God on the cross. And he, he even says it. He, he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Like, the Father didn't just step away and, and stay right there. No, I'm right here. No, he experienced the rejection that was owed to sin. Oh man, he did that for me, and then gave up his body that was mutilated by the torture and by sin itself, and he rose again free from it, and he's sitting down at the right hand of God representing us, and as long as he is perfect, we're made perfect because He sent out the Holy Spirit to live inside us, the Spirit of Jesus. And the Spirit of Jesus lives inside us now because we have no more sin. It's still something I've got to let go of. Salvation is a gift. I don't just receive it by default. It's my choice to receive God. He's holding his arms out all day. It's up to us whether we want to grab it back and say, okay, lead me home. But his arms are out. If if you need salvation, his arms are out right now. It's time to receive. And I also feel like God is just reviving other promises today. Stirring them up in you. Whatever promises they are. Don't give up on them. Don't lose sight of Jesus. If you're feeling despair, hey, I've probably lost sight of Jesus in this circumstance. Hey, it's time to start thanking him for your salvation. It's time to start reminding yourself of the promises that he's given you, it's time to get back into the word of God and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Thank you so much that you are with me. Hey, let's be thankful. Let's raise our perspective. Are there any musicians in here? I would love to call the band back up if any of them are around. Yeah, Natty B, thank God. Hey, look, if if you need prayer, please come out the front. We'd love to pray with you. And uh, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior and your Lord and you want to follow Him and you want to respond to salvation, hey, come out the front as well. I'd love to pray with you. That would be really cool. And, uh, yeah, so thanks, guys. You can, you can start. Um, And I'll just just close in prayer right now as well, and we'll just finish the service, but we'll continue with some ministry time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your revived promises. Thank you, Lord, that your word never fails because you're a man of your word. Lord, when you say it, it is so. Stir our faith, God. Lord, as we we navigate the, the storms of life, may we keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Transform us into your image, Jesus. Lord, we repent of control right now and religiosity and trying to change ourselves. If you saved us, why are we then trying to perfect ourselves, God? It's your job. We thank you for your great work inside us, and we thank you that you have died for us, Jesus, and that you've risen again and that we can be called children of God. We love you so much. Lord, remind us of your promises. I declare a reinvigoration of hope right now in Jesus' name. May we follow you and not lose sight of you. Casting aside every weight and sin. Thank you that you have perfected us and that you are opening the eyes of our heart. In the name of